From White House press director to song and dance star of the Broadway musical 9 to 5, Allison Janney is utterly versatile and she's full of surprises. Welcome to the American Theater Wing's Downstage Center. I'm Howard Sherman, executive director of ATW, and I am thrilled to welcome Allison Janney. (laughs) Sorry, I missed my cue line. It's it's okay. You jumped the gun. You're you're happy to be here. We're happy to have you. I'm very happy to be here. So the obvious question, in look, doing a lot of research on this, I don't see lots of musical comedy. <laughs> How yeah. did, did you come to 9 to 5? Well, I owe this all to uh, Joe Mantello, who, who directed me um, many years ago in a Nikki Silver play called Fat Men in Skirts that I did with um, – Stanley Tucci and Marissa Tomei and Matt McGrath. And it was one of the craziest shows I've ever done. And um, I remember one night in the audience, Jackie Onassis was there and John John Kennedy and Al Pacino and Ellen Bar- it, it I don't know why all these people came on one night, but I remember starting the playoff and I thought, no one's even looking at me. I had no idea. It was the strangest thing. But anyway, not to digress. Um, but d- Joe directed me in that and then subsequently in Blue Window um, – at Craig Lucas's Blue Window at Manhattan Theater Club. And so we've had a kind of history and we've been looking for something to do together. And he called me up in L.A. and said, come do this um, workshop of 9 to 5. And I said, no. Really? <laughs> I did. I was like, well, I can't. I'm not a singer, Joe. And he said, I don't want a singer. I want... I want an actress to play this part, and and I know you can. And, you know, I, I did a musical benefit for breast cancer for um, 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 uh, late girls. It was called, and, and it was for the uh, National Breast Cancer Coalition. And it was in L.A. And I did um, Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman changed the lyrics to Zip. Uh, to roast everybody in, in Hollywood and, and West Wing. <laughs> they're good and, um, at that. <laughs> they're so good at it. And that was like the first time I sang in front of people. And I think that little tape got around and so Joe got the idea. So I, I came to New York to do the, the workshop, which which enabled me to sort of get my feet wet and, and see how it felt. And it was kind of like a fancy audition, I felt like. So I could see what it, the music felt like in you know my body and moving around and dancing and um, and I did the workshop and I actually had one of the best times I've ever had. And I said, yes, I'll, I want to do this. Yes, yes, yes. So did you did you go into training? Did you get voice coaching? Yeah. Did you take dance lessons? What was- I, well, I studied. I grew up um, studying dance and ballet and I used to be a figure skater. So I've always – and I was also very athletic. So I consider myself a good dancer. Of course, now having worked with Broadway dancers, I'm a terrible dancer. But I, <laughs> I do consider myself a very good dancer and, um, and – and I love to dance. So, so the dancing didn't worry. The dancing did not worry me. I was very excited about that. Um, the singing is what terrified me. Um, so I started studying immediately with um, Eric Vitro out in L.A. And then when I came to New York, I studied with Liz Kaplan. So I had two very amazing um, uh, vo- um, voice teachers working with me and getting me to cut out the dairy products and you know, stop the occasional cigarette. The you know all the bad things that that um, um, that uh, you do that aren't good for your body or your your singing. Um, so that's been a constant challenge. But I now feel very comfortable singing the nine to five songs in front of people. But if you ask me to sing anything else, well, I won't ask you to sing anything today. But you know, I always think of you know there are so many people who. Just sing along with their with their radio or or with their iPod or whatever, and you know, 
how, was were you someone who did that privately who now for the first time was doing it publicly or were you really not somebody who sang i went from basically the shower to the broadway stage that's, <laughs> that's a I, I, there's a little in between there but uh, like a little and and the, and the desire to i love singing um i mean i love singing in the shower and i was i sang in, in the choir in school and in college uh, and I, I love it. I just didn't have any confidence really to sing. I, I did once did the uh, Garrison Keillor show mm-hmm. and he told me – he wanted me to sing on the show. And he said, I have a feeling you'll be more comfortable singing as someone else, not as Alice and Janney. And I said, you're absolutely right. I could would not, not do a singing show. You know, Now that I've been on Broadway, I would not feel comfortable putting together a cabaret act and – you know, taking myself out on the road. <clears throat> Listen to my voice. I'm very husky today. Well, it's very appealing. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, when you've got a composer who is Dolly Parton, that can also be daunting. I'm wondering, first of all, did Dolly give you any tips? <laughs> and And two, as once you were committed to the project and they were committed to you, um, did the material evolve to to accommodate you and your personality, your particular gifts? Well, first of all, I was terrified to sing for Dolly and was sure that she wouldn't want me to do her show. Um, but she turned out to be one of my great champions and, and really couldn't be more encouraging and supportive of me and my singing voice and you know, she kept identifying herself more with me than with, you know, Stephanie J. Block and Megan Hilty, uh, who are extraordinary singers and, uh, and not nine to five. They're beautiful voices. And she uh, felt more uh, – she was she was saying she felt more like me than, than they were, that she didn't feel like she was a singer, that she um, – I can't explain it, but is that can Dolly Parton really have said that to me? But she did. Hmm. Um, she said, "I'm not a singer. I don't have a trained voice. You just sing out, girl. You got it." You know, she just kept encouraging well, me. Well, there's we a do, good singing coach. We would do run-throughs of the of songs, and she'd go, "Allison, you sounded the best of everyone." You know, she would she would always say something encouraging to me that that was just meant the world to me. Um, she'll she'll never know how much. Maybe she does know how much because she she um, she made me feel totally comfortable. And as for the music, Stephen Aremus, who's our uh, musical arranger, he worked with me. And, uh, you know, we changed a few notes here and there to fit my voice. Um, of course, a lot of Dolly's songs she writes right in my break. Um, so it, it, it was hard finding the, you know, I can sing really, there's one song in, in 9 to 5 where I sing very high, which is, seems to be easier for me than singing, you know, in the mid-range there, the break area. Hmm. And then I can sing really low. Um, so it's that working that muscle and getting the, the mid-range. I wish I had taken voice lessons like my mother told me to. Everyone out there, take your voice lessons even if you don't think you're a singer. Because huh. I think it helps with acting too because it helps you breathe. I'm, I've always been a, a breath holder. I hold my breath when I exercise. When I talk, like, You have to breathe. And, and I have it written on my mirror in my dressing room. Breathe. Hmm. It's like the most important thing. So – you know, but they really they did cater it to me, tailored the um, the songs for, for my voice. And, and how about the character herself? I mean, obviously there's the film antecedent, but it's not. And the book writer, it's the writer of the film, but it's never exactly the same. Were there were there changes that evolved 
you know, during either the workshop or the rehearsal period for the show for for your character? Well, there were three workshops before I jumped on board. Oh. <clears throat> so um, I don't I don't know if there always was a love interest for Violet, but I love that they put one in. I think it's such a great addition to the 9 to 5 story. I, I think they really tried to um, give you more of these women's lives and, and satisfy <clears throat> all the 9 to 5 fans out there and uh, the, of the movie and then people who are coming to it fresh. You really got a – the characters were more well-rounded in this musical, I think. And I particularly loved the love interest of um, Violet and Joe, played by Andy Carl, who is um, who's amazing. Um, uh, so that was really great. And then the, the, a lot of the lines changed. A lot of the classic uh, lines are in, still in, remain in the musical. Um, but uh, they, Pat Resnick did a lot of rewriting and adding and um, a lot of joke writing, you know. Um, um. I ask this question a lot, but I'm always curious, at the stage door, what do people say to you? Do, they, do you get people saying things about what the character or the story of the show means to you? Because certainly when 9 to 5, the movie was new, we were still very fresh in the throes of women becoming more and more part of the workplace. Do you hear from people that that's still an issue? Do they come up and make their confessions to you? Um, Not so much at the stage door. Um, There are a lot of fans who wait afterwards, and they – there are some who love the movie, um, and they – they love the musical. They um, no one. We I never got into any conversations with people about the glass ceiling, um, but but the fact is that it, it is still there, and and there are issues in this play that that women are still fighting with, and I think it just the play speaks to a wider group of people now than just women. Um, how do you mean that? Well, like to, to different people, um, uh, races and racism and sexism, and they're just all different kinds of ceilings that people have to try to break through. And I, that's what I mean. I think hmm. the play speaks to more more people than just women right now. And I think it. I I was surprised that you know we were um, got our closing notice because it. I feel like this play speaks to the the little guy. They gave Violet a lovely monologue at the end that talks champions the little guy, the person who's struggling to to do two jobs and raise a family. And I feel like today in today's economy, there's so many people who are in that situation that are that have that are newly little guys, you know. And 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 this play is is about fighting for the worker and, and workers' rights. And I I really was surprised that it didn't. Um, catch on as 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 much as i as i thought it was going to and i can only blame the um economy really because um i think dolly parton's music is stunning in this i think she's a natural born broadway songwriter she she you know she's a country singer a country songwriter they write naturally about stories it just seems to lend itself perfectly and i hope she doesn't get too um disheartened by the show closing i actually probably the show, show will probably do really well on tour well, you know, um, that's an interesting you know. thing. I mean, it is it is certainly unfortunate, yeah. the timing, but musicals have such a way of, of living on because they're a national tour, stock yeah. and amateur productions, international productions. And I'm curious 
you've, you've actually had the opportunity to create roles in lots of shows, mm-hmm. which is interesting, but certainly creating a role in a musical, I it. <laughs> presumably you will have countless opportunities over the years, should you wish to, to go and see the local high school production. I hope so. I really do. I really think this play has a right to live on that way. Um, I think uh, maybe with not such a complicated set, but you know, <laughs> yes, I think they'll, they'll probably uh, simplify that a great deal, um, uh, which is not to say I don't uh, Scott Pask is an amazing set designer and the set is beautiful, but it's very expensive. So I think they can probably cut down that. And But I think it's a it's a really fun play. I can totally see, see it being done in high schools and colleges around the country and and in Europe, too. What the hell? <laughs> well, since I, I'm mentioning <clears throat> where things get done in high schools and all of that, let's jump back. You mentioned you know, that you had dance training and figure skating. Mm-hmm. Um, was theater always on your mind or were you headed in another direction as a kid? I really didn't have much direction as a kid. I didn't I didn't I wanted to be a figure skater and I had a terrible accident when I was 17 and I mm. went through a plate glass window and and was in the hospital for quite a while and and so that sort of ended my figure skating career and plus I wasn't that good at it. I was very graceful. I was very I was took a lot of ballet classes so I'm a very very it was very graceful on the ice but it's a very acrobatic sport and I could not do a lot of the double jumps so it's probably just as well, but um, my mother was an actress. She went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City, and she did summer stock. She was roommates with Eileen Brennan and Rue McClanahan. Oh, my gosh. And um, she did plays with Tallulah Bankhead and Tony LoBianco as an intern like, So for in, people in with, with memories, I mean, the people, no. what, who, what, what was her name at that no, time? No, her name was Macy Putnam at the time, but okay. she was she did a lot of summer stock stuff with these. There are people you know, out there who say their playbills and and go right, oh my well, gosh I saw Alice and Janney's mom she once got a re- review for her great legs in some play with Tony Lil Bianco Macy Putnam's great legs she didn't <laughs> I mean, she was also a dancer so I think that that. Um, um, and she, and you know I remember as a kid going to visit Eileen and little Mary Sunshine in Chicago. She was playing it there, and I remember her coming after the show up to our hotel room to visit us. And I just thought it was so. I thought she was the coolest woman on the planet, and it was so neat that my mother had this you know cool friend who was an actress. And I think it just um, I got the bug probably from because of Eileen. I, I've never really thought about that, but I think that's probably why. And then. And then, you know, when I went to Kenyon College, I got into the first production there that Paul Newman had gone there and they built this beautiful new theater there called the Bolton Theater, which is a thrust stage and a beautiful, beautiful theater. And uh, Paul came back to direct the first play there, which was a Michael Christopher play called C.C. Pyle and the Bunyan Derby. It didn't really go on from there, but I got cast in that play and got to meet Paul and, and subsequently Joanne. and Well, it's more than meet. Paul chose you. Yeah, did, I mean, did yeah, he cast you or did yeah. somebody in the theater program cast uh, you? He did the, held the auditions and he cast me and I always attribute it to making some, fabricating some story up about how, uh, that I took me only an hour and a half to drive to Kenyon when it usually takes people two and a half hours, but I knew the shortcuts and I was a fast driver and <laughs> I appealed to his the race car driver in Paul Newman <laughs> and I got him. It worked. Um, um, I think it was more that I had a, I had a um, 
otherworldly look about me or I didn't – I looked like I could have come from the 20s or the 30s. I kind of had that very full face and we had to play flappers or something. I don't remember. We didn't have a lot of lines but we were chorus girls. Um, But I mean again, a new play in – at a college, how did they happen to come up with that play? Do you recall? Well, I think that Paul and Joanne were very good friends with Michael Christopher. He had just won the Pulitzer for Shadowbox, and I think that they asked, commissioned him to do a new play for uh-huh. the Bolton Theater. So he wrote this play, and I don't think it ever was done anywhere else, but um, um, I wonder if they ever taped it, too. I don't know. There was original music for it. It was kind of a. It was a, John Considine and Susan Sharkey were in it. Um, um, but, but let me get this straight. Your yeah. very first show in, in college, school, yeah. you're being directed by Paul, Paul Newman. Newman. It's like get out. extraordinary. Where do you go from there? I know. So. I've read certainly that you became very friendly with them. Well, Joanne was the reason why I came to New York to go to the Neighborhood Playhouse Acting School because she had gone there and she got me to come and, and uh, interview there. And then she got me into the actor's studio. She, she's been so instrumental in my getting me started in my career. She had a theater company with a bunch of us from the Neighborhood Playhouse and we were, you know, uh, not – and she would direct us in plays out at the River Arts Theater in Woodstock, New York, and mm. and then she, you know, ended up getting building her own theater out in um, in uh, Westport, in Westport, the Westport Playhouse. But uh, she she really gave a lot of herself and her time to young students like me who are trying to be actors, and I, I just am so grateful to her. Well, the training's interesting to me because so were you were you take did you end up in the theater program at Kenyon? First of all, did you come out of there with a theater degree? Well, yeah, I majored in theater history. Okay. And then I went right from there to, to the Neighborhood Playhouse. Which is much more practical years. training. Yes. Yes. Still Meisner technique and listening and answering and, and uh, not a lot of professional training, which is the one thing that I could have used a little more of. Well, what do you mean? What's the distinction? In terms of um, how, how to make it in the business, just some hard tack you know, advice about how to to get a career in 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 acting and in, in, uh, in theater, how you do you go about it? I kind of didn't know what the heck I was doing. I did all. I mean, I I'll say one thing. It was good that I I liked that I went to the Playhouse and established relationships here and started. We started all forming our little theater companies and we would do off 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 Broadway plays and we had you know people in our groups that were playwrights and and designers and. And we put on these shows and tried to get agents and people to come see them, and hardly anyone ever did. When they did, they you know we never got agents out of them. It took me forever get, to get an agent, um, but uh, I just kept doing it and kept taking acting classes. I studied with Wynn Hanman for a while. Um, you went to RADA. For I went a to while. RADA. Well, then I got a, I got a fellowship from the Neighborhood Playhouse to go to RADA, which was a wonderful experience. I loved going to RADA. Um, it was a summer program. I saw so much theater there. I love how you can be a student in London and see the theater for you know two pounds or something. It was maybe then. <laughs> then I don't know now, but it, gosh, what a great time that was! I felt really special that I got to to do that. And um, was there was there the the training must have been different. They must have been working you in different in different ways between what you were getting and we should say for those who don't know at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts yes. um, versus the Neighborhood Playhouse. Well, it's actually funny. I went all the way to London to study and all of my teachers were from the States. Oh. I had Eve Shapiro who taught at Juilliard. I think she was my acting teacher. I think I had one vo- voice teacher 
who was British. But mostly they, they you know, we studied Shakespeare and and uh, they kept telling me not to move so much, that Americans move too much when they do Shakespeare. And I feel like that's such a – they just I, – I made me mad because I was like, you can, should be able to move and, and, and do Shakespeare. So I've always had a kind of thing about Shakespeare. Like I don't – I'm not interested in doing it. Hmm. Like I really don't. I hate doing things where people have preconceived notions about exactly how it should go, what word you should, should stress, which I find it confi- – I've never enjoyed doing a Shakespeare play. Um, um, and I say that, you know, hoping someone will convince me and show me that I can have fun because I really don't enjoy it. Well, we're going to co- come back to that because okay. I want to talk about um, the show that you did in the park. But yeah. but let's 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 keep working through a little here. Yeah. Um, so you're out of school. You said you know these little companies forming mm-hmm. and and all your friends. Um, you mentioned a hard time getting an agent, and it's something that I know you've spoken about a lot. Um, I hate to ask you to repeat stories you've told before, but you really, it sounds like, had a tough time. Well, I also didn't try very hard, I have to say. I'm, I'm pretty I – I feel like I'm too lazy. I'm pretty lucky to be where I am because I, I didn't go around and throw my – I mean now it's a different world with um, internet and stuff. But you know, I didn't go around and shove my pictures under people's doors. I just thought that was – Futile. I didn't think there was any way I was going to get an agent doing that. I thought someone. I'm going to get an agent when somebody sees me in something. That's the only way I'm going to be able to sell myself. And it just took me forever. And I think because I'm very tall, and I was playing 40 year old women when I was 20. You know, so mm-hmm. I just wasn't. An, I didn't have an ingenue look about me, and maybe I just wasn't psychologically ready to to work. I don't know. I'm sure it was a healthy combination of all of that stuff. When you're ready, you're ready. Um, and I. Um, I first got a I got a manager, this wonderful man named well his his name's Carl Brown, and he went by Brian Glass as a manager um, and I met him through a student in Win Hanman's acting class who said, "You have to go Brian would love your work and and I met him and he believed in me and and he started really trying to knock down doors for me and say, try to get me an agent. He worked so hard for me more than anyone mm-hmm. has, and I don't know. Why he? I think he just. I can't even remember what he saw me in first, but he um, he really believed in me, and he finally I hooked up with um, a few agents before Paradigm, but I had some, you know, the stories where the one woman said that I wasn't pretty enough, and oh, I said I was. Yeah, no, I'm, she said you're very tall, and I said so. Was Christine Lottie and Sigourney Weaver and um, Kelly McGillis or something? And she said yes, but though you know those three women have something in common, and I said what? And she said they're drop dead gorgeous. And, you know, so people, mm. you know, there's people say things to, which was totally inappropriate. And then someone else said, I, what are you going to play, lesbians and a- or aliens? What else can you do? And someone else said, I didn't have any edge. Someone didn't, I said I had no personality. I didn't have enough personality or some kind of, now I'm blocking out what he said. That's a healthy sign. I forget what he said. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, but you know, and sure, I wanted to quit a million gazillion times. I, I even took an aptitude test to see what else I could do at John, the Johnson O'Connor Institute on the East Side. You can take what did they aptitude. come up with? Well, they said I'd make an ex- excellent systems analyst. Oh, I wasn't sure what that. I I, <laughs> I I don't know. I it was sad. And then the next day, I got a job understudying at Manhattan Theater Club, understanding Kate Nelligan and Faith Prince. So. That pulled me in bad habits, and I had to take over for Kate Nelligan. That was not a very fun theater experience. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. That was the first and last time I will ever understudy. 
it's 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 not a fun. Well, let's can. let's go to fun. What would you say? You know, with all of this, these issues with with uh, agents and trying to get cast and typed and all of this. What would you say was sort of the first thing that did get you noticed? Um. Mm-hmm. Well, um, for, there are a lot of. I'll qualify it in the way you want it to be noticed. All right. Um, I guess the. Well, I did this um, when I did Fat Men in Skirts, Nikki Silver's play. I got that's when Mike Mike Nichols saw me in that play and wrote me a, a beautiful note and sent it to me. I still have it framed. It's in my house in Los Angeles. And ever since then, he's been a champion of mine. And got, I got noticed for he put me in his movie Wolf. From and he saw me in that. I have a very teeny part, but he put me in that. And and, uh, and then he put me in Primary Colors, which got Aaron Sorkin saw me in Primary Colors, and I think that's why I got West Wing. So I think that was that movie, that play, and then Alan Ball's play, Five Women Wearing the Same Dress, that got me cast in American Beauty. So I think. Doing those two plays in, in relatively small venues, and you know, with one with Naked Angels and one at Manhattan Class uh, Company, way before. I mean, they were much bigger now, but then they were just starting out. Um, those got me really got me noticed in a way that I wanted to be noticed by by people that I respected in the business, like Mike Nichols. I mean, my goodness, that was. I adore that man. I've, I've never gotten to work with him either. I mean, since then, hmm. we keep trying to and and. Um, um, we keep crossing paths. Well, I just want to jump back because one thing I'm curious about, you did an early play by Eve Ensler. Yes, I did. And it's I called just, Ladies. Ladies. I'm just curious as to what that was because it was it was before everyone knew Eve Ensler of the Vagina Monologues. I know. Um, it was a play about um, women in a homeless shelter hmm. uh, in the 80s. And, and I remember I played a um, I played a lesbian. It was my first was it my first lesbian I played. Maybe that agent was right. Lesbians. Um, I played a woman I had, uh, and I had to act with Ching Valdez, this wonderful actress. Um, it was uh, it was great. Um, I, I I just know Eve is just such a force. What a powerful woman she is. Uh, I haven't really seen her much since those hmm. days. I. I I don't know why, but I haven't seen her. But she's quite an amazing woman um, who just – she's passionate beyond belief. Um, so it was kind of fun to be hooked up with her before before Vagina Monologues took off for her. And now you've mentioned five women wearing the same dress. Yeah. And you quickly mentioned it was Alan Ball mm-hmm. before he blew up into yep. this major television writer, producer. Now I know. he's got True Blood going – but you know what? What was the experience of that play? Um, because it's you know with lots of great people: Betsy Adam, Amelia Campbell, Ali Walker, all in the cast along with you, and and this presumably young playwright on the you know on the verge of what has become television I know. writing and producing stardom. Well, I knew it was fun. I, these were great women I got to work with. I loved them all, um, and we all shared one dressing room and. Um, 
was one of the best sets too for that. I don't know. I can't remember who designed the set, but it was an amazing set. And they were going to move that. There was talk of moving it. There was talk of making it into a movie. And we were all laughing about thinking all the movie stars who were going to play our parts. And um, Alan was just he's such a charming, lovely man. So I, I'm so happy for his success. And <clears throat> but I wish I got to see him more. It's funny when your friends get successful, you just you never get to see them anymore. <laughs> but um, that play was. I remember my first line was my first line was "Y'all, am I bleeding?" And it was such a great fun play. I mm. just remember just having a ball doing it. Mm-hmm. Now you've spoken about doing this new Michael Christopher play in uh, in college, and then you did another play of his, um, "Breaking Up." I know. Now, was that coincidence? Was that he remembered this young woman from Kenyon College? And oh yeah, yeah, we had <laughs> me, we, he remembered me, and um, he sought me out for this. Oh, actually, I'm lying. Did I? No, I'm sure he did. But I, Amelia Ben Susan directed that, and I think I had to. And Amelia had directed five women wearing the same dress. Yes, yes. So. So I think she just asked me to. Do, I can't remember how that happened, huh. but I just remember. Gosh, doing that with Matthew Modine. That was something that was supposed to change my life because we were going to move in. We did it in Jersey and we were going to come in and do it at the Promenade Theater or something. We were going to do it in in New York. And um, I remember my manager, Carl Brown, Brian Glass, trying to – we would rent limousines to bring agents out to see me in the show because we couldn't get anyone to come out. Where were you doing it in New Jersey? In in Teaneck. Oh. um, Paul Servino's theater at the time. American Stage. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And no one would come out. We couldn't. We couldn't believe it. Um, but then the day before we were to start rehearsals, and and there was a Vanity Fair magazine shoot I was supposed to do with Matthew Modine. He called, and he said he was going leaving to do Wind, the movie Wind, and he left us. And I was so I was like, oh my god, huh. I was so upset. I thought this was going to be my introduction to New York. It was going to be a really great. It was a great part for me. It was. It was. Uh, it, w- it was really. It was a shame. Huh. At that, but I ended up doing it later at um, Primary Stages with Kevin O'Rourke, and we had a wonderful time doing it there. But it shows you—you you never know what what the big break's going to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, you don't. So the next big break would probably be Present Laughter, yeah, opposite first, Frank Langella, first Broadway show. What was it like working with Frank Langella? Frank. Frank, I was—I heard so many stories about him. I was terrified, terrified. I was like, I heard that he just chewed actors up and spit them out. <laughs> Frank is so—I totally adore him too. He is just—he is a perfect part for him, Gary. Well, Essendine. many people say, you know, it was the role he was born to it play. It was. He was perfect in it, and we became great friends doing that. I was so happy to say. We had a lovely. Um, he gave me some great bits to do, and I. But I, the whole time I rehearsed that, I've never been so insecure in my life. I thought I was going to be fired. I even called up the director and I said, Scott, I, um, I, I asked him to f- just fire me right away because I knew that he was going to, and I just wanted him to. What on earth? I just was too insecure. I was having a total insecurity meltdown. And then when I got to the Broadway stage, when I saw the theater, I, I was I was I've never been so afraid in my life. And I finally I called my brother Hal, who helped me. He was so sweet. He said, "You remember that movie Hoosiers?" 
when the, the the kids go from the small the the basketball oh, and they court walk and into the big and the big one and then he then he goes oh, well, let's just measure the the you know the what do you call it the width of the, the proscenium the, or, no, the, the, or in Hoosiers it's it's the the basketball, the basketball court it's the same court. size let's measure the court it's the same thing there's the your relationship to the audience is the you know the same to the basket to the and I don't know why that that just helped me so much. I, I it calmed me down. And and once I got out in front of the audience, I I didn't all the fear went away, huh. um, except for the normal fears that you're supposed to have when you step in front of you know hundreds of people. But but that was something really extraordinary. I haven't experienced since that and kind of anxiety. You mentioned the director. It's Scott Elliott, yes. who was making his Broadway debut, I believe, yeah. directing that. It was an interesting cast because, of course, you had. Langella, a major Broadway star, yeah. but then people like Jeff Weiss and David Kale, who were not, you know, your usual. Bro- yeah, cool. yeah it, was, it seemed yeah. sort of a downtown. Yeah. And, and Lisa and, Emery, the wonderful Lisa Emery, it's so amazing. I love her. So, in the playing of it over over time, you you really relaxed into it. You got you got used the to the minute, space. Like I said, the minute I stepped on stage for the first preview and heard the audience applaud, I was. I had a ball. I totally had a great time doing it. I were totally relaxed into it. But the fear that I had to battle was the most I've ever had in my life. Hmm. Doing that for the I just just because I was much. I don't know how old I was in my late thirties, but it was my Broadway debut, and it had built up. I'd been in New York so long, and just didn't think I was going to ever. It was ever going to happen. So I built up all this pressure on myself and, and expectations about what a broad, you know, a Broadway debut and. It, it terrified me, hmm. so I'm glad I, I made I made it through alive, unscathed, and and then went right into view from the bridge. Well, and it's very interesting because I was looking up um, some of the stuff about view from the bridge, which I saw, which was an extraordinary production, and it was interesting how many people commented uh, one way or another, not even not in reviews, but even in just in the advanced press about that suddenly you were turning to to tragedy and turning to a serious role. Was it that you, the impression, everybody's seen present laughter mm-hmm. who hadn't seen, you know, who may not have seen you in mm-hmm. any of these smaller roles. So you were a comedian. Yeah. And then suddenly you're a, I guess, tragedian is, yeah. <laughs> is the word. I think that was the greatest opportunity to get the, to, to do those two plays back to back. Cause it, it did show people that I, it, right away, it was like, you think of me this way, but here I'm going to come at you this way. So I loved that. I thought that was – I'm really proud that I got to do those two plays back to back. And while on Present Laughter, of course, Noel Coward wasn't coming in at times to see what was going on, Arthur Miller presumably was yes, around. Yes, he was there for rehearsals. That was extraordinary to be standing there with Arthur in rehearsals and getting notes from him and having him say, you're doing good, kid. You look – you know, you're doing a great job. And and I remember one day we had these – these movie magazines from the period on the pay on the on the you know on one of the tables prop tables and he was standing there flipping through and there he flipped open to a spread on Marilyn Monroe and you know, it was just such a I was like oh. and I watched Arthur just go hmm you know and just had a moment of remembering Marilyn then turn mm-hmm. the page and it was kind of wonderful to get to work with he he was a very gracious man I, I loved being around him he was really very sexy too. Quite a ladies' man. I found him to be very charming, and and he still he still had it. <laughs> you said you know getting notes from Arthur. Often you hear people say, "Oh no, you should only be getting notes from the director." Yeah. So what 
you know, what would Arthur say to you? It's certainly a show he'd seen produced many times. Um, were there things he was looking for from your character no, or things he could tell you about your character? Everyone always got mad because I got – well, I sometimes think it's good to get notes, but he didn't really give me that many. He always he always liked what I did. He always just said, I, you know, you're, you're great. You're perfect. He would always – but I would get frustrated because I'd want him to give me some, give me, tell me something, you know. To I kept thinking maybe he's disappointed and he realizes he can't get more out of me, and he's just letting he's you know he's settling. Oh my god, you know that's the way my brain works. But he would just sit, you know. But Michael Mayer would let he would come in and watch a run through, and then and um, Michael and and Arthur would talk, and then and then they'd give their notes, and Arthur would just give notes like a direct, you know, I think you need to be more, um, Eddie wants this in this moment, so I need you to be, you know, he would just be direct, talk about his play, you know, nothing, um, he would just talk about his characters, he knew, you know, what he had written, and, and I don't remember specific notes that he gave, but they were, they weren't anything, um, you know, he, I don't remember him telling us something about the play that everybody else who reads it can't get from just reading it, you know, he just was pushing people in the right direction and and um, it was just nice to have him around. Michael Mayer's production mm-hmm. was it was commented on that it didn't attempt to make everything utterly realistic and there mm-hmm. was a lot of allusion to Greek theater and Greek tragedy both in the set in the style of sort of the chorus the ensemble yeah. of people was was that something that was discussed, you know, was it something that Michael discussed with you and the other actors in, in developing the show? No, I, I think I think he had done a similar production upstate and brought uh, sort of workshopped it and then brought it into New York. And he had already decided. I was like, I'm not going to have a kitchen sink. I, I'm not going to have a – I mean, I wanted all the props and everything because I'm such a – I love props. I love to hide behind props and, and use them and, and – and, Work them. He gave me a dish towel. I remember that was the one thing he let me have. I was like, please let me have something to. Um, and we did have a Christmas tree, but but he really tried to be minimal. And I see. I mean, it was such a beautiful image with the all the the stoops the, in Brooklyn, sort of becoming the the Greek, you know, the amphitheater. And it was just it was it was kind of it was brilliant the way he he did it. And um, but I remember being terrified that I was not going to have a sink to hold on to or a pot. Of boiling water or something. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> and playing opposite Anthony Lopalia, certainly not a guy from Brooklyn. Though, if you knew, if you'd never seen him before, oh, you Anthony, thought, "Oh, yeah. yeah, he's a powerful man." We I mean, we almost. I bit his nose. He says I bit him. I say he head butted me. Oh, it's let's this hear day. this. Oh, that rat bastard. He abused <laughs> me, I tell you. No, um, he's so fun. I love Anthony. Um, but we would go at it. We really – I think that's why I got that part because I can go give it right back, you know, the the anger and the power just sort of – and we would just go head to head in that Christmas tree scene um, when she finally confronts him to stop being in love with, you know, his niece and um, and he just came right up into my face and he – head butted me basically my mouth was open and he but he went up into the my teeth and his nose broke open and just started bleeding and i think he thought he was sweating because he sweat a lot 
and 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 I was like, I was petrified on stage. I was trying to hand him my hand handkerchief, my or my dish towel. The only thing I <laughs> they had. weren't enough props um, for you. And I was like trying to get him to. So he still has stitches to this day. I gave Anthony stitches on View from the Bridge. You are the woman who scarred, scarred Anthony Rapalia for life. That's you know, little known credit that, <laughs> that uh, we 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 didn't uh, yeah, think would be coming up. People in this. know that. Um, he'll tell you though that I bet him. And don't believe a word he says. If well, you ever interview him, you would tell him. <laughs> don't believe him. You spoke earlier about your feelings about Shakespeare. So what dragged you into Central Park to do The Taming of the Shrew? Mel Shapiro <laughs> was the director, and I love Mel. He's such a wonderful man. And um, I just thought I should do it. I should just try it. And I, I love Mel, but I just I, – I swear to God, that play and the – the final speech and everyone – I don't read reviews anymore. I do not read them because of a review I got in that play hmm. <clears throat> by by John Simon, I think. And it ah, wasn't even well. about my acting. It was about my physical appearance and as he's wont to do. Um, I – and ever since then, I've never read reviews because hmm. I thought, I cannot. I'm too thin-skinned. I can't read good or bad. The good isn't good enough. The bad is is – right on the money you know what i mean the way most people um feel about reviews um but mel um talked me into it jay sanders was petruchio and um i uh it was hot i don't like i didn't like doing it in the park it was hot and humid i was doing rain dances with mario cantone under the stage (laughs) so you get the night off so we get the night off because it was so Hot and humid, and we one night we had to do it in our t-shirts. I think because it was too hot, I couldn't wear the Elizabethan garb, whatever. I can't remember what period we were in, but I couldn't wear it. It was too hot. People were fainting. I did not like that. I would try Shakespeare again inside in a controlled environment, um, and um, I don't know, but I don't like stepping into something that people are feel they know exactly how it should be done. Huh. I don't enjoy that. Even though, and his approach, uh, from what I read, was was relatively zany. It, it certainly was. It was a very bad cap, sticky, you yeah. know, which which is why I liked it. That it was not going to be your typical Shakespeare. It was going to be, um, but I never felt totally confident doing. I mean, I definitely had made up my mind how I was going to do that final monologue of of Kate's and. But every night I did it, I kept thinking someone out there is hating what I'm doing. I, I was too in my huh. head about it. I, I didn't, I didn't like it. Didn't, hmm. didn't like what I did in it. But so not not one of the actors who waxes rhapsodic no. about the experience in the park. Give me a new playwright in an air conditioned theater. <laughs> I'll be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> now you did that. I mean, there. You know, it was. You've now had several prominent leads in New York because you had President Laughter, you'd had View from the Bridge, certainly playing a lead role in a show in the park, a lot of attention. And you did that immediately prior to going into West Wing? Well, that was after, um, I think it was after the first season. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah. After the first season, I came back and did it. Or maybe it was after the we went and shot the pilot and I came back and I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But it was during West Wing. Mm-hmm. I had start. I had, it had begun and it may have been my first time off or something. But um, 
You'll have to do that research for me. Well, I can't it, 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 what, I, what I came up with was that you were just about. It was the, maybe you'd started some of the filming, but but that it, you were on the cusp of of that breaking out. And okay. some magazine said you were going to be the new it girl because of your role on the series and and all of that. But uh, oh, cool. Like but <laughs> I'll have to dig it out of all these papers here. Um, at the point though, then that you went into West Wing which ran seven years. You yeah. were with it the whole time. With the cast, as I was looking at the cast, I realized of a lot of people with a lot of stage experience, mm-hmm. probably not as familiar from film and television at that point. Brad Whitford, certainly. John Spencer, um, you know, had done L.A. Law before, but he, you know, was a stage actor of, of long experience. Was there any sense in working in that ensemble that that stage background came into play and Aaron Sorkin who who hasn't written enough for the stage I he agree. should write more but but was there any uh were there any parallels yeah well the uh I loved that we all had this theater background because I think that's we all had such great respect for each other and and um I think that the actors that are trained in the theater have a certain respect for other people's time and other people's moments and other people, you know, when you grow up, you realize that it's a being on stage is a team sport as opposed to a, you know, film shot where you're by yourself and no one else is in the picture with you. And not to say that all film actors aren't generous. There are generous, there can be generous film actors, but um, we were also aware of that and we're so good with each being there for each other's, you know, coverage. When, when I'm not on camera, I would be there for, you know, for Richard or John's scenes and give as much as I gave when I was on, you know, and that really helped the quality of the acting, I think. And, and I loved it. A lot of, a lot of them didn't, but I loved it because I was good at memorizing lines at the time. Somehow I've lost that. Um, I think I used up all my brain memorizing chips. <laughs> um, but I loved it when we did walk and talks, the famous West Wing walk and talks, where we'd string together like four scenes, and I loved it. I felt so. Everyone knew I I did too, and the camera guys did too, because I would they would just follow me in, in through the corridors and go, and um, I felt like I was in a play doing mm-hmm. doing those. It just felt yeah, a long take would be like yeah, that. and I, I I preferred that than chopping chopping it up. I love doing the long takes. Hmm. Did you were you one of those actresses or actors who, when you're in a series coming from a stage background, every hiatus said I want to go back to the stage. Well, I did, but we never in the beginning. We only they don't we only have three or four weeks off. Huh? It was it was ridiculous. We didn't have any time to do a play. Um, uh, I think John attempted once to do one while he was doing West Wing, and that was, I saw him just get so he would do West Wing. They would have him six a.m. call and let him off at five, and he'd race to go do a show and then have to get up and get out. So, I mean, I saw him just get hmm. destroyed trying to do that. Um, but I did not find that I had the time to to even think wow. about doing it, and I used my time to, you know, just re- relax. I needed to. Yeah, to if you chill only out. get four weeks off yeah. in in a year of production, that's, yeah, and, and, you and can't it was a lot it. of hours, especially in the beginning. We were working, you know, twelve, fourteen, fifteen hour days. I mean, we really. I've never worked so hard in my life in anything, and and nor did I love it. I, I love it. I couldn't have loved it more, but. I have to say, as it went on, we got – it was very t- – t- I realized that if I added up all my personal moments and my personal time, 
in those seven years, I should have only aged, you know, maybe a year at most because so much of our time was um, – they call those jobs the golden handcuffs because they're mm-hmm. – you're so lucky when you get them and yet you are y- – your life is not your own when you're when you're doing that kind of schedule because mm. things change all the time. You thought you had a day off and you work – they call you and say you're working tomorrow and you just had to be very flexible and um, ready to work at a moment's notice. Mm. Certainly when the show wrapped finally in 2006, um, the recognition that you'd achieved from that show was enormous and you'd been doing film work. You continue to do film work. Um, Certainly the opportunity to go back on stage, you were definitely a commodity at that point. And so how did you come to the decision of what would be your first return to the stage? Well, I I thought um, I got an offer to do Williamstown to do Autumn Garden, Lillian Hellman's Autumn Garden. And I have a fun, I, I was a, um, a non-equity member at Williamstown Theater Festival many years ago um, and – I thought that would be a great way to get my feet wet hmm. with the theater again. And and so I came – David Jones directed that um, production and um, John Hickey and, and um, Mamie Gummer were in it. And I had such a great time with that. I love that play so much. Um, it was a lovely production. In two weeks, you know, Williamstown is like summer camp for actors. You, We rehearsed for – four weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and we performed for two or three. I can't even remember, but very short. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to be on stage again, and I wanted to do something out of New York City um, before. And I didn't, you know, and then when 9 to 5 came, I thought, yeah, I had some other offers to do things, but I thought, no, this will be special. I want to come back to New York with something completely different and, and special. Um, and so 9 to 5 was was it. And I had I can't remember what I was going to. Someone offered me something before nine to five came in, and we decided no, let's wait and do do this. Let this be your, you know, your reentry hmm. into into New York theater. And um, so I'm kind of proud. My three Broadway plays are all completely different. I'll see what do I get to do next. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you you've said a couple. We've talked a couple, couple of times about the fact that. You've done a lot of new work, and it's impossible to say to any actor, you know, what new play would you like to do? Because you may not know that if, if it's been written yet. Yeah. But are there parts you want to play? Are there? Well, I always, I always wanted to play um, um, Martha, <laughs> and who's afraid? Um, I really, I feel like I'm born to play that part. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would love to do some Alan Akeborn plays. I would love to do um, um, – I would like Aaron to write me a part. But that's interesting. All be an Akeborn. I know. <laughs> Two very different types. Sure. I love all. Oh, Shaw even. I would. I, I, I just love – I love good writing. I just get so excited by reading a line and going, oh, my God, I get to say that. I really – that's why I think I'm an actor because I, I'm so imp- – amazed at what people can write and say and I've always felt um, um, that I lack in that skill set to um, to talk um, <laughs> as I'm doing right now um, I get too self-conscious so I, I, I like to to take on someone else's 
uh, you know, another character and get to say what they would say. And it's so I, I just can't get enough of it. Hmm. I love it. And do you think you'd do another musical? Well, not right away. <laughs> no, you need a, a little, you need a rest, but uh, a little, you know, downtime. Um, I love Rosalind Russell. I love, you know, I, I wonderful town or Mame would be fun to do. I don't know, but I'd have to. I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm yeah. not. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Alice and Janney. Thank you so much for being with us I'm today on Down Stage Center. So happy to have been here. This is very relaxing. Our engineer for today's show is Chad Bernhard. Our producer is Gail Yankosik. Downstage Center is recorded in the CUNY TV radio studios at the City University of New York Graduate School of Journalism in New York City. I want to remind our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at whatever theater you go to at the theater.